once again this morning. John records for us the statement of Jesus that is the basis of our study, that has been the basis of our study for the last several weeks. John chapter 10 and verse 10, Jesus said, I came that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. Make no mistake about it. Jesus Christ wants you and me to live a plentiful, copious, rich, and bountiful life. And yet, folks, we know that to live the kind of life Jesus wants us to live, to live that abundant life, there are some things we've got to conquer. There are things we've got to get the best of. We've got to get the best there is to get out of life. We talked about getting the best of our anger, and we talked about getting the best of conflicts and disagreements, and we've talked about learning to love each other. But there's something else we've got to get the best of. Something we've got to learn to overcome. Something we have got to conquer. And that's yesterday. The past. One of the best examples you'll ever find in the Word of God about overcoming the past. One of the best examples about getting the best of yesterday comes from the prophecy of Joel over in the Old Testament. The prophecy of Joel is concerned with a natural calamity that has come upon his country. What has happened is there has been an unparalleled invasion of locusts. Pesky little creatures, nasty little things. And they have left the land completely desolate. The prophet of God tells us that the land is Wasted. The fields are wasted. And the land mourneth. He writes in his prophecy that joy is withered away. Joy is gone from the sons of men. Now, I want us to get a picture in our mind of what those pesky little locusts are able to accomplish. A young locust rapidly attains the size of a common grasshopper. And these locusts proceed in one and the same direction. First they're crawling and then they're leaping. And as they crawl and as they leap, they devour every green thing that's in their path. The locusts advance more slowly than a devouring fire. But when they get through, the ravages and the desolation and the devastation that they commit are about the same as a fire and they're almost as dreaded. When a swarm of locusts come through fields of standing wheat and barley and vineyards and mulberry orchards and groves of fig and olive trees, in just a very few hours, those trees and those crops are deprived of every green blade and leaf. With the trees, often the very bark of the tree is destroyed. It's in Joel chapter 2 and verse 25 
that you read this very meaningful passage of Scripture. And I will restore unto you the years that the locusts have eaten. I will restore unto you the years the locusts have eaten. That was a word of hope and a word of encouragement that was spoken to Israel at a time of a terrible invasion of those little monsters. Like an army with the rattle of war chariots, the locusts had swarmed in upon the land of Israel. They devoured the orchards and they devoured the vineyards and they devoured the fields. And they left the land, when they departed, they left the land as wasted as if it had been a desert. And these pesky little creatures with their dead bodies had polluted all the wells. And they clogged up all the springs. Joel called on the people of God. And he called on them to repent. So that the judgment of God could be turned away. And the wind blew from another direction and the locusts were swept away. Some went to the Dead Sea and some to the Mediterranean Sea, but the locusts were all swept away. And so it was that the place in Israel that had known the locusts knew them no more forever. Oh, but what about the vineyards? What about the crops? What about those bare and bleeding olive and fig trees and all the locust-eaten herbs that there were in the land of Israel? Here's the promise. The land shall be restored. The beasts of the field are assured. The pastures will spring again. The fig and the olive tree will once more yield their strength and their fruit. And the people are told to rejoice. Because God's going to bring down the former and the latter rain. And they're promised that the fields are going to be full of wheat again. The vats will overflow with wine and with oil. I'll restore to you the years the locusts have eaten. Folks, is that not a beautiful promise? Just as Israel was eaten by the locusts, Sometimes our lives, let's internalize it, my life, your life. Sometimes our lives are eaten by sin, just like Israel was eaten by the locusts. There are a lot of different names for sin, and there's a lot of different forms of sin. But sin is always blighting in the effect that it has on us. It's always blighting in the work that it does on the souls of men and women. And all of us, every last one of us, at some point in our lives have known some locust-eating year. If there was not definite transgression, there were unspiritual moods and there were unresponsive moods. There were times when we were led by the whisper of desire, or we were prompted by unkind and ungenerous feelings. 
And we weren't living the way Jesus wanted us to live. Here and there. As you and I would turn the pages of our lives, we would be compelled to write occasionally across the pages of time, locust years. But, praise God. The grace of God in the penitent, contrite, and obedient soul is able to undo what sin has done. And the grace of God is able to restore the years of our lives that the locusts have eaten. Do you realize? Do we understand what a message of hurt and encouragement that is? Do we recognize how much hope that gives to our hearts? All the losses all the hurts, all the shocks and the bleedings of heart, all the scars of sin can all be wiped away by the blood of Jesus Christ. That doesn't mean the way of the transgressor is not hard. The agony of Jesus on Calvary can't take that away and can't make it easy. But if the Bible teaches the terrible effects of sin, it teaches something else. And that is that men and women are not forever bound and crippled by sin. Jesus came. And Jesus teaches that the humblest sinner through obedience to the gospel can escape the final penalty of sin and have all the losses inflicted by sin restored. But how many of us sitting right here in this room are victims of the locust years? And how many of us allow ourselves to be victimized and held hostage by yesterday there are a lot of folks that are either unwilling or unable to get the best of sorrows and bereavements of the past they can't get the best of the locust years folks that allow their mind to go back to a sorrow or a loss and when we can't get the best of the locust years when we can't stop our mind from going back and dwelling on some sorrow or some loss, we become unfit for the duties of life. We become unhappy and discontented with ourselves. And when that happens, we're of no help to anyone else. Samuel was one of the most noble characters of the Old Testament. In the entire life of Samuel, there's only one hint, one suggestion of a fault. And even that one fault leaned on the side of virtue. The only rebuke that Samuel ever got from God was his intemperate sorrow over the fall of Saul, the king of Israel. We're told that Samuel one time 
actually wept all night because of Saul. After his last meeting with that unfortunate king, Samuel mourned constantly for Saul. He mourned for Saul because he'd anointed him with his own hands. He had, with his own hands, anointed Saul as the first king over Israel. He mourned because he knew Saul was capable of better things than he had done. And we're told that God spoke to Samuel. God said, how long? How long will you mourn for Saul? Knowing that I have rejected him from reigning over Israel. There's two things that ought to jump right out at us in that. And two things we ought to always remember in that. Samuel's grief was useless. It accomplished nothing. God had rejected Saul and chosen someone else. And Samuel's continued mourning over Saul showed a lack of submission to the will of God. But sometimes we just can't get over what happened yesterday. Ezekiel conquered the sorrow of yesterday for the sake of duty. The story is told in Ezekiel chapter 24, verses 16 through 27. Relax, I'm not going to read all those verses. I'm going to give you the Reader's Digest version. Ezekiel is told there that his wife is going to be taken away from him with a stroke. And with words full of heartbreak, Ezekiel refers to his wife as the desire of my soul. And God tells him something. God tells Ezekiel that under the crushing blow that he is going to suffer, he is not to make a show of mourning. God says you can sigh, but not aloud. And God said, Ezekiel... Your grief is not to interfere with your public duties as the prophet of God. Here's what it says. At even, my wife died. Now listen to it. And in the morning, I did as God commanded. Folks, for every one of us, there is the morning of duty. But I've known folks, and you have too, victimized by unpleasant experiences of yesterday. Folks are victims of a painful and unpleasant experience that happened at some point in the past. And they're always turning back to that painful, unpleasant experience, some some unhappy thing that happened. Somebody hurt them. Somebody wounded them. Somebody deceived them. Whatever it was, they were injured in some way, and they just never have been able to get over it. And that one event has come to be a defining moment in their lives. 
And that event has become like a slave driver to their souls. And when that happens, when we have had some unpleasant experience that we allow to become a defining moment in our lives, then we become a victim in a double sense. Because first of all, there's the original wound and the original injury and the original hurt that took place in the past. And then, there's the constant resurrection of that hurt because of unrestrained grief over it and always turning back and reliving it. I've used this illustration before. But it's the best illustration of this I know of in real life. My sweet little grandmother, she was one of the sweetest ladies you ever saw in your life. And she was the most glass half empty person you ever came across. She was the one that when we had her 75th birthday party and had a come and go deal all day long, that the next day after everybody had come to her house and eaten cake and wished her happy birthday, 60 or 70 people had signed the register at her house. Next morning she's going through all the cards people left her. And Uncle Bill says, what you doing, Mama? You can see who all came. She said, no, I'm going through my cards to see who didn't come. She couldn't get over things. And this is the point I'm talking about. Some injury, some hurt. She and Granddaddy had some good friends. And you know, you, you know these giveaway calendars that the drugstores and the banks give you, they got the little squares on there where you can write little things. How many of you use that as a diary? Write what happened on a certain day and you go back and look at those calendars? Grandmother died. And we're going through her stuff. And she's got one of those old calendars and we're thumbing through it. And on a certain day, at a certain, on a certain day on one of the calendars, years ago, she said, so-and-so and so-and-so had a party and we didn't get invited. You've got to turn loose of stuff like that, people. You can't hold on to stuff like that. If I got my feelings hurt every time somebody had a party and didn't invite me, I'd never get out of bed in the morning. I'd just pull the covers up. Because nobody wants to preach around. You talk about a wet blanket. Who wants a preacher coming to your party? You've got to get over things. You can't constantly resurrect the past. If we constantly dwell on what happened in the past and the hurts and the wounds and the injuries, folks, it poisons our spirit and it disqualifies us for the work of life. You remember Joseph over in the Old Testament? His brothers were so jealous of him because Jacob made him that beautiful sport coat with all those colors in it. And so they sold him into slavery. And then he ends up being prime minister of Egypt. And they've got to come to him for food. And they're scared to death. But Joseph didn't allow the fact that those brothers sold him into slavery to become the defining moment in his life. He didn't allow the fact that Mrs. Potiphar lied about him and had him thrown into prison to become the defining moment in his life. And he told his brothers, he says, as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it unto good. 
One of the most magnificent examples in this book of someone that overcame the locust years is the Apostle Paul. You look at Paul's life, there was a lot of things in Paul's past that was dark and sad and sinful. He was persecuting Christians. He was stoning them to death. When we come over to Acts chapter 7 that Stephen was being stoned to death, and it says there that's where we're first introduced to Saul of Tarsus. And it says he was consenting to his death. They were laying their clothes down at his feet. And as I've said so many times, don't think Paul was innocent in this. Paul was a veteran persecutor, folks. He'd done this before, and I can see him saying, Bobby, you ever stoned anybody? No. Bobby, I have. There is nothing like the thrill of hearing that stone hit that flesh. Put you, I'll, I'll watch you, coach. You throw a stone. Rodney, you had never done it either. Rodney, you throw a stone and, and hear that sound as that stone crushes those ribs. I'll hold your coat. That's what Saul was doing. He was holding the clothes, watching the clothes of those people that were stoning Stephen to death. He had persecuted Christians. He had thrown them in prison. He would killed them. And on that Damascus road, on his way to persecute Christians there, God knocked him down and he went into the city and the preacher Ananias came and told him what to do. He said, Saul, why cherish thou rise, be baptized, wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. And he said to Agrippa, I wasn't disobedient to that heavenly vision. God made him over and made him Paul, the apostle, the great preacher. Can you imagine what it had been like for Paul if he had dwelt on his yesterday? Because there was a lot of things as a follower of Christ he needed to forget and turn away from. There was his persecution, his blasphemies, his cruelties toward those who believed in Christ. But he conquered. And he left it behind. And he overcame the things that were dark and bitter and sad in his past. And he left us two very profound passages of Scripture. One of those is in Philippians 3 and verse 13. He said... Forgetting the things that are behind. And reaching forth to the things that are before, I press toward the prize of the mark of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. And in Romans chapter 8 and verse 28, he said all things, not some things, not most things, not a few things, he said all things, work together for good to them that love God, to them that are the called according to His purpose. You and I are a lot like Paul. If we're honest. I don't think there's anybody in this room that can just stand up and say, there's nothing in my past I don't want to forget. All of us have things in our past that ought to be forgotten. It may be a sorrow. It may be a hurt. It may be a wound. It may be a bitter experience, it may be a sin, it may be transgression, but whatever it is, in Jesus Christ we have the great liberty to forget. Paul said he had forgotten it. He forgot the things that were behind. There was Peter. Oh, can you imagine Peter? Nobody ever rose higher or fell further than Peter did. Think about Peter that night that Jesus was on trial. 
And they said, you're one of them. Think about his profanity and his denial of Jesus. Jesus is at the supreme hour of his life. He's facing the cross. He needs his friends more than he's ever needed them. He needs their love. He needs their loyalty. If he ever needed it, it was now. And Peter denied him. But then over in John chapter 22, we see Jesus on the beach at Galilee with a fire cooking breakfast. The disciples had been fishing. And there with that breakfast by the sea, Jesus said, Simon, lovest thou me? Feed my sheep. Jesus took Simon and restored him and forgave him. And the love of Jesus sent Peter out to feed the flock of God and preach the gospel. Peter overcame the past. The Bible is filled with men who overcame the locust years and they were restored just like Joel promised. There was old King Manasseh. He spent 50 years in unprecedented wickedness and impiety and he came to himself and he repented and was forgiven and he was restored again to his throne. There was David, the man after God's own heart. He committed the triple sin of adultery, murder, and treachery. And Nathan came and broke his heart with a story of a little lamb. And David repented. And David was forgiven. And David forever teaches the transgressors, me and you, the way of God. If we're going to forget the past... If we're going to say with Paul, forgetting the things that are behind, folks, what we have to do is turn our lives over to God. We have to make Jesus Christ the Lord and Master of our lives. And we do that by coming to Jesus in simple trusting faith, repenting of everything that's sin in our lives, confessing His name, and being buried in the waters of baptism for the remission of past sins. And that makes us Christians. Nothing more, nothing less, nothing else, just Christians. Maybe you've done that. But maybe you haven't lived God's kind of life. You haven't lived life the way God wants you to. And you need brothers and sisters to pray with you and for you. Remember this. If Jesus Christ is not Lord of all of your life, then Jesus Christ is not Lord at all in your life. If you need to make changes, and we can help you do that, for Jesus to be Lord of all of your life, this is the time to do it as we stand while we sing.